0: Hey, Breakthrough listeners, it's Jason Lowe and Peter Lount from episode number 107. At Ascendant Financial, mybankersvault.com, we specialize in teaching real estate investors across Canada the process of becoming your own banker, the infinite banking concept. Do you also find it frustrating when it's difficult to access the financing you need or when the housing market moves against you? And when there's unexpected prolonged vacancy or expensive repairs, are you tired of transferring all that money away from you? We have the solution at mybankersvault.com. By becoming your own banker, anything that you are already doing financially, including real estate investing, is radically improved. Whether utilizing this process for down payments or for entire real estate purchases, becoming your own banker puts you in a position to control the repayment schedule on your loans while enhancing your overall returns. Whether you are brand new to real estate or a seasoned investor, we believe that ready access to money and financial control should be in your hands not the banks or a loan officer. We have an exclusive and irresistible package for Breakthrough Podcast listeners. If you want the best way to build and deploy capital, easier access to money, better returns and less headaches, head on over to mybankersvault.com. That's mybankersvault.com.
1: Hey guys, Omar Khan here with Data Trading Co. I wanted to tell you about episode 124 of the Breakthrough Podcast. We currently have a special offer for Breakthrough Podcast listeners we're offering a free one-hour live training session where we show how to instantly add stock options as a new income stream. Now, I've used this myself personally over the years to create a sizable real estate portfolio for myself, and there's no reason you can't as well. Cool thing is it only takes about 30 minutes a day, so if you have a job or if you have a business or you're just spending a lot of time with your family, you're going to have time to incorporate this in your life if you take the time to learn this, okay? Now, We're also offering a 15-minute free consultation to discuss how our option strategy can work with your current investment strategy and really take your investment to the next level, okay? So for more information, check out 30 minutestocktradercom forward slash breakthrough to join us on our free live training, our next webinar. Remember again, episode 124, where Sandy and I go over exactly how I use this strategy to acquire a large real estate portfolio for myself, and there's no reason why you can't as well. See you there, guys. Talk soon.
0: If you're looking for the skills and tools to succeed in real estate investing, you've come to the right place. This show is about breaking through barriers, breaking through limiting beliefs, and breaking through to the life that you wanna live through the power of real estate investing. This is the Breakthrough Real Estate Investing Podcast. And now, here are your hosts, Rob Brake and Sandy McKay.
2: Hello and welcome back, everybody! Wow, that caught me off guard. I, did that count down to one or?
3: <laughs> I think we went. I think it's jumped over one. We're, uh, we're e- eager to get rolling here.
2: Super pumped to be here today. Yeah, it's it's as excited as I am. The intro is ex- excited as I am to get to this today. We have a great guest to get to. Ryan Carr from episode twenty nine is back. Um, before we talk to him, though. We just have a couple of things to go over. Everyone listening should go over to our, our website, BreakthroughREIPodcast.ca. There they can download every single episode that we've ever done. They can go back and uh, and actually, uh, I believe they can go on the chat board, interact with the guests, ask questions, um, and they can also get our free gift.
3: Yeah, the ultimate strategy for building wealth through real estate, uh, free report there they can pick up and uh, that'll get you on our email list too to ensure that you never miss out on an episode and you get uh, notified when our new stuff comes out, um, as well as our uh, events, property tours, whatever else we got going on. You'll hear about it all if you sign up there and uh, that way you won't
2: miss out. I am super pumped to get back to some in-person property tours. not sure when that's going to happen, but hopefully it happens really soon. It's I sort of see the horizon, but we, you know, still got to wait and see what happens here. Um, But that being said, you can join our virtual tours and you will get the, uh, the info for each and every one that we do. If you sign up for our list and um, you won't miss out. Also, please go over to iTunes and like and subscribe and all that kind of stuff. We're on uh, YouTube right now, live. If uh, anyone's watching that way, you can go in the chat room and ask questions. I'm sure you're going to have lots of questions for Ryan. He's a super interesting guy. Got a lot going on, a lot of knowledge. And uh, so here's your free ticket to ask Ryan anything you want. Get on there, get on the get on the uh, comment board, and just ask away. Ryan will be happy to answer.
4: He will.
3: <laughs> <laughs> he will. He will. Uh, what else we got to get into here? Should we get into right into the interview, or any other housekeeping pieces? Well, I guess just real go.
2: quick, you know, if you haven't left a a review on iTunes, so yeah. please do that. It helps out a lot. It helps us get guests like Ryan to come on the show. So. Please, everybody that hasn't done that, get over there. And uh, it only takes a couple of minutes. Just tell us what you think, good or bad. And we will be more than happy to, uh, to you know, read your comments and hopefully get some info from different places in the country that people have been asking for over, you know, the last little while. And and some of the uh, insights from people who are doing the things that, uh, that people have asked for more info on. So, It always does help us. It helps us steer the show in the right direction. So, yeah, please go over there and leave us uh, your comments on iTunes. And I guess that's about it.
3: All right. Awesome. Well, uh, let's bring in Ryan here then. Welcome uh, officially, I guess, to the show here, Ryan. Uh, Welcome back to the show, I should say. Five years in the the making here.
4: (laughs) Thanks for having me on. This is great.
2: Well, like I mentioned before, Ryan was our guest on episode twenty-nine, which was five years ago, believe it or not. It doesn't seem like that long ago, but I guess wow. it applies when you're having fun. So, but for the the newer listeners, maybe who who uh, haven't gone back that far or aren't familiar with uh, last time you were on, let's let's talk about how you got started in real estate investing. Yeah, uh,
4: gosh, I got started in real estate investing in 2012. Um, I started doing it full time in 2014. The first property that we had ever bought, my wife and I, was a single family home, bank sale fixer-upper, graduated to our first rental property, which uh, at that time was a basement apartment. And then uh, since then, it's just been a a real busy time. We've purchased over 50 properties or purchased or controlled over 50. Uh, Since then, I think we're up to like 52 or 53 and uh, lots of flips, infill development, basement apartments, um, low-rise apartment building, construction, all that good stuff. So it's uh, it's been a real busy last couple of years
2: like hey just glaze over that like it's you know like it's nothing um hey,
4: yeah i don't know what to say but it's fun
2: <laughs> all right well i think last time we spoke with you you were you were sort of into the duplex conversions we talked i think a lot about um uh your um your front and back split of
3: vertical the, vertical splits right of
2: mm-hmm. the duplexes so you were doing that a lot of that and um and but now you've sort of maybe not shifted gears but expanded i guess quite significantly ryan i uh you know we don't want to glaze over it like that <laughs> uh, yes. About yes what you've sort of done since last time you were on the show to where you are now and you yeah. know you don't have to you don't have to race through it we this is some okay. interesting stuff so let's uh take some time and dive deep into it All
4: right, we'll go into the nitty gritty. So um, from we'll say 2014 till now, um, we can talk about the team. So I've grown a team, I operate with full time staff, T4 payroll employees, Um, a lot of people are very interested in that and how that functions. Um, So you know, I've done a little bit of that I've grown the team, Um, I typically operate with two to three crews on our open job sites. And at any one time, I have between eight and sometimes up to 15 Uh, open job sites in various phases of development. So um, what that meant you know, back when I first got started was like one duplex doing it myself. And what that means now, now that I have full-time staff is that um, with the infill development wing of the business um, we're looking at uh, building new properties, building new homes, low res apartment buildings, things like that. With the flipping side of things um, that kind of comes into two buckets which is wholesaling and actual physical construction. And then, of course, we've got some of the other buy and holds and duplex conversions uh, and stuff like that, which we've been taking on. And um, those are great. But, you know, like a lot of investors, uh, when you have too many properties, the bank says no. So you got to change your strategies as you navigate that as well. And, and that's what I've been doing.
2: And you mentioned an interesting term there, infill. Do you want to yeah. do you want to maybe expand on what that is?
4: Yeah. So infill development would be taking a house that's typically existing or severing off off a piece of land, um, taking that house down and building a new house in its place. Uh, In my case, I like to buy corner lots. I like to buy wide lots. Um, We just did a couple in uh, in the Durham region recently uh, that were really successful. And I love to be able to find that opportunity and, you know, find dirt where dirt was no longer or un, typically unavailable for most people. And, um, you know, build something on that dirt that can generate you income. Uh, and in my case, long term, I like to keep whatever I can. So uh, building apartment buildings on that dirt is better. Building duplexes is, is great. And uh, wherever we can find those opportunities is, is what I take it up on.
3: And uh, so you've done a lot of different types of deals over the years, obviously, different types of strategies. Um and you're, you're, I guess your focus has changed a little bit as, you, as you've as you gone with that. How have you kind of decided to do that or how have you decided to take different directions at different points? Because you were doing a lot of the duplex stuff, now you're kind of doing a lot of things, right?
4: Yeah, yeah. yeah, so I'm an opportunity guy. Um, I realized over these last 50 some odd deals that like opportunity comes in different forms. And if you're flexible and ambidextrous to that, um, you can capitalize on those opportunities. And I find that um, over the years, I've noticed that a lot of people say there's no deals out there. I can't find any deals. And when you can be flexible and adapt to those deals as they come about, you can you know you can you can make money or you can grow the business or you can add rentals to your portfolio or whatever your goals are, you can definitely achieve that. And I've been very good at at coordinating those deals and navigating it so that there is a plethora of deals out there. And when you have uh, full-time staff, you have to keep them busy. And you need to be able to find opportunity where there may not have been opportunity previous.
2: So I guess let's expand on that a little bit. So what you're what you're more or less referring to is um, is figuring out what the highest and best use for a property is. And the key, I guess, to it being a deal, quote unquote, is identifying that what it's being used for now is not its highest and best use. And sort of changing the use of that land, um, expanding on what you were talking about before with your, with your dirt, you know, what's on that dirt. Um, But you know, what the land is being used for is not necessarily what it's best used for or what the opportunity or the uh, zoning or whatever allows it to be used for. So you'll dig into that and figure out that, Hey, you know, instead of it being a single family home, we can actually put like a low rise apartment building or something like that on the land instead. So how let's, let's walk through the process a little bit of how you would, I guess, identify one of these pieces of property.
4: For sure. So uh, there's, there's three ways that I look at deals in any form when they come in. So just going down the infill development program. um, If, if I look at uh, a potential, lot for new construction or infill development, I'll look at it in three ways. So I'll say, what's the highest and best use of the land? What's the highest and best use of the structure, existing or new? And what is the highest and best use of your own personal skill sets and time? And when I look at these three things, right, we can really drill down on, okay, does, does the dirt make sense? Does the house that's here make sense? Or do we have to take it down and start again? And what am I actually good at? Like, do I have financing? Do I have the skills to pull this project off, whatever that project may be? Um, you you gotta, you gotta boil all of that in. And when you can look at all of those things, right, that's going to identify a deal. And, uh, what I've realized over the last little while as well, is that, um, the same deal, like, you know, take a cookie cutter deal for one person, that deal may look one way. And for another person, it may look completely different. And like, for example, if you're an infill development guy, you're probably going to take the house down and build a new one. If you're a wholesaler, you might say, I don't want anything to do with that infill development permit phase. I'm not interested. I'm just going to sell it off. If you're an agent, you know, like you guys, maybe you're best to collect the commission on that and transact the paper. Um, you know, like there's so many different ways that you can look at the same property and uh, um, I'd be good at identifying that.
2: And not only that, it might be, well, the best and highest use is building um, some kind of industrial uh building on there where that might not be your skill set your skill set might be well we can't put an apartment building there but we can put a house or Mm -hmm. whatever it is like right so so that one might come into play as well I guess is the like you mentioned there the best use of your time so if you got to learn how to do something over again or learn how to do something like like let's say you haven't ryan built an apartment building like there was a time where you didn't know what was involved in that kind of thing so for the average person listening to this today it might be yeah you can put a six unit apartment building on that building but am i ready to tackle all of that Mm -hmm. what is the best use of my time yeah that's interesting too i never really thought of that it's it's not necessarily you know go to the 100 percent max of what you can do you have to use your skill sets as well in in order to make the project come to life.
4: Yeah, for sure. It's some creativity. It's some strategy. I mean, you talked about putting up a a commercial complex. Um, There's value in land assemblies too. So if you take, you know, just, if you buy a corner lot and then you, you add one or two lots around that periphery, you know, what would maybe be a $500,000 house times three, because you have three lots now totaling 1.5 million. Um, because you have all three of those lots maybe that land is actually worth five million now because you have the density and you're on an arterial road and you've got the space that you can build a great big tower you know so it's it's not always about um uh, what it is it's it's definitely about what it can be
3: so how do you uh I think we should get into kind of evaluating these deals but before we do that how do you actually find these these deals I, I think part of it is in actually identifying it in the first place right but how do you come across these? How do you come across deals? How do you find real estate, deal? real estate deals that make sense?
4: Yeah, for sure. So I'm ai am a 50-50 guy. So I buy half off market and half on the MLS. Uh, I'm a big believer in supporting my realtors. Uh, I'm a big believer in finding off market properties. And I think that there's a balance. Um, what I love about the MLS is that if you know what to look for, like oftentimes you can find m- maybe a misrepresented property, for example. So um, somebody hasn't done their due diligence. They're listing that property too low. Maybe it's got some zoning um, opportunities that the agent or the seller didn't even know about, right? That happens often. Um, So I'm, I'm, I'm buying those on the MLS. In terms of being on the private side, yellow letter campaigns, door knocking, moving into a neighborhood, buying one deal, and then buying a few deals using that first one as leverage is a really good way to do it. I've done that lots. I spent, I don't know, I spent the first couple of years of my career down in the South end of Oshawa, just scooping up five, six, seven, eight properties on this one street. I just never left right? Like I would buy one and then I would talk to the neighbor and then I'd buy the neighbor's house and just keep going. You know, it was, it was great. It was really efficient for the guys and the staff and uh, that was cool. So, you know, those are some different ways that I'm doing it and some different ways that I'm growing the portfolio. And and when those properties come up, you got to be ready. Like you got to be able to scoop them up. You got to have your financing in line and uh, finding those properties is key.
2: Um, Ryan, you got a lot of attention a little while ago for a tiny house that you that you did in uh, in Oshawa as well. And um, that is a, actually a really good example of what we're talking about today because it was sort of part of, well, maybe you're best to describe it, but you took that land and really did uh, highest and best use on that. So did you want to maybe tell uh, people about that for those who didn't follow this story?
4: Yeah, yeah, I can break it down. So that was a property that, again, I, I bought in the MLS. It was an open market transaction. Anybody could have had it um what it was was there was a a little like 253 square foot house on one side and then there was a normal you know two bed one bath kind of thing um on the other side of this parcel and when i saw it come through my inbox i noticed that it had two municipal addresses very common in the duplex space not the second unit space but the actual duplex space where one building has two units and it actually has two municipal addresses um I was able to read the legal description in the MLS listing and come to know that both of these addresses were actually on their whole lot, or each on their own lot within a plan of subdivision. And uh, for anybody listening, what that means is you can go and sever that land on those two municipal addresses as of right on closing without having to go through a traditional land severance. Which is you know thousands of dollars in studies and months and months of time and all this. So I was able to put that tiny house back on its own lot, even though the lots had previously merged and the seller was selling it as one. That's how that one worked.
2: And then talk a little bit about what you did with the two lots then, because now now once they're severed, you were left with. And and I want to talk about that house too because that was really interesting what you did with it. But it was essentially a shack on one side on one property and and a a house on the other side so talk about the those two properties individually and what you did with them
4: yeah so they both ended up being flips um what we did was after we parted the lots then we had two titles again and we could convey them separately without a merger um the first house we fixed up we did the typical cosmetic renovation slow that one off right that was just your your typical make it pretty and turn it over to the market again that, that's how that one went the tiny house on the other hand was something that i just I thought there was a bit of money in it, right? Which which there was. We made a few bucks. We didn't hit the grand slam or anything, but there's a few bucks there. And I just thought it was just a really neat, just a really neat project. I thought the guys would appreciate it. I had a ton of fun doing it. We had a bunch of marketing surrounding that as well. And um, the house itself was actually, like I say, 253 square feet or something. And it was built back in the 40s. Um, we believe that it was in around World War II. Um, we found some newspapers in the floorboards dating back to, I think it was. 43. And I framed it. Uh, when, when we found it, I framed that newspaper and I gave it to the new owner. And um we had, we had decorated the house back up and made it pretty again. And it was just one of those projects that you just don't see very often. And there's such a big following with the tiny house community. Um, that you know, I was I wasn't even part of the tiny house community formally prior to this. I just thought, it hey, this is cool, let's do it. And uh, you know, we we did this project and it caught a lot of steam and um, yeah, God, I think it had like a hundred thousand hits on Facebook and we were on five newspaper platforms and and uh, all of the decor and stuff turned out really awesome too. So that was a that was a ton of fun, That one That was really cool.
2: And there's and there's like move off of it a bit. But I find it fascinating too, because it' was actually I, I went through the house when you were done. It and um you know, it works really well for a house that's small. Everything was in its place. everything flowed. You know, there seemed like there was enough room to actually live there once you got inside. So um, there's got to be a lot of design that goes into something like that as well, right? To make it work.
4: Yeah, there is. So I mean, just for example, you've got to look at things like laundry. You got to look at things like a heat source, and you got to look at things that uh, do dual for uh, dual function, dual purpose. So like we had a, a countertop with a cutout underneath it that had a stool, the stool swung out and that became the breakfast bar because there's no room for a formal dining room table. Um, We had a washing machine that actually doubled as a dryer. So it was dual purpose as well because you lost one appliance, right? Um, We had in-wall heaters that were forced air and they blew the hot air around the unit because there's no room for a traditional furnace in that sense. So you had to really think like. Almost like an RV designer, like a Winnebago designer. How can we, how can we tuck in all these really neat features for somebody to live here with the modern day conveniences?
2: All right. So we can move off that now, but, um, anyone who wants to, anyone who's interested, I mean, like you said, it's on Facebook, right? Like people can go get a little tour of the place. I believe it's up there. Okay. Um, Ryan, you're writing a book swinging back around to, um, or you've written a book. Yeah. Uh, going back around to highest and best use, tell us about tell us about your book.
4: Yeah, so the book is something that I've wanted to do for a long time. Um, I took all those last fifty some odd deals, reevaluated, and said, "Okay, what am I good at here? How can I crunch this down and distill it to give somebody within a couple hundred pages all of the information that I would typically tell them? You know, how to go out and and do deals like I do." So, I'm crunching that down into a book, it's coming out Spring Market twenty twenty one, and again, it's all about finding highest and best use of property. Um, and those three ways that I described of finding the best use of the property, the structure, or your skill sets and time.
3: And they can find that, uh, our listeners can find that at highest the best use.com.
4: That's right. The and best use.com. Yeah. You can sign up. There's a, there's a link there. You can sign up. And, um, like I said, it's coming at spring market 2021. So when it goes to print and audible and all that stuff, um, people can look out for it then.
3: What, uh, what what keeps you going here? What keeps you motivated, and inspired to keep doing all this cool, kind of interesting uh, construction and uh, conversions, all this stuff?
4: It's the creativity, hundred um, percent. There's there's three three sort of pillars that I live by, and that's charismatic, thoughtful, and creative. And the creative aspect of this is what really fuels me. Uh, I I really love to take a deal. Like we'll go for a drive. My wife and I will go for a drive, and we'll go through like a crappy subdivision or down a major route or somewhere out in the country. And we'll just be like, oh man, what would we do with that place? And what would we do with that place? And it's so much fun to just say, okay, how can we, how can we create something of value or something that's beautiful, or you know, maybe repurpose the land, stuff like this. That's what really gets me going. Um, it used to be the construction. I used to get really fueled by the construction because I'm a really hands-on guy. Um, that's still there, but more in the design aspect now. And now I just like to find the best use of land and. And um, that's what just fires me up. I, I love it. I genuinely love it.
3: Um, Awesome. So obviously, and that's, yeah, that's shifted over time as you've grown and done some different things. Obviously the, the different excitement levels tend to change too. I, I find that too. You kind of get excited about little things at times and then you start yeah. doing some different stuff and it all kind of shifts around. But um, uh, let's talk about some challenges. What are some of the challenges you've had over the years? Obviously um, I'm sure you've, failed many times, like all of us have, what, have some, what are some of the ones that stick out? Some of the biggest challenges you face over time?
4: I think the challenges that I've typically faced are like growing the business, scaling, um, staffing, uh, permit speed, the cost of construction, things like that. I mean, I, I remember a deal that I did. Uh, well, I just finished it, actually. It was a new build that I just finished up in uh, in Clarington. And I bought this property in 2018 with the intention that it was going to be, uh, you know, tear the house down, set the land, build two new duplexes, right? And I bought the property, everything was good. And then like not so long after that, the town brought in some uh, some new law called an interim control bylaw. And for anybody in the development space, um, that basically is a, a development freeze where they halt all building permits and development until they can figure out what the character of the neighborhood looks like. And then they'll open it back up so that you're conforming to um, that existing character of the neighborhood. And for me, I didn't really know what that meant uh, until I went to get my permit and they said, well, no, nope, now you got to jump through a rezoning application hoop and then you got to get the variance, and then you got to conform to a, uh, different reports and studies and stuff like that to make sure that the architecture is within the confines of what we're looking to see. You know, all of that took a couple of years. I had no idea that was coming down the pipe, like no idea. So fortunately, I bought right. You know, I was still okay. The market's been very, very strong. Uh, the appraisal on the property came in fantastic, so I, you know, I had no complaints. In the end, the property still went really well. But dude, like in the meantime, I had tenants in the place. It was a bit of a fixer-upper house, but I just wanted to at least carry it. And like these tenants ripped the cabinets off the walls. I had the police there. The police said, "Oh, you know, they were a tenant, which means it's not vandalism, so we can't charge them." Like it was just this is some of the stuff you don't hear about on Facebook and YouTube and. You know, but like, that's reality. Sometimes stuff doesn't go your way and you need to be able to navigate that and figure out, okay, what am I going to do if this goes south? And where do I fall? I think I got a poster on the back behind me. What's the upside potential and what's the downside risk, That's how I weigh every deal, that arbitrage, you know, and, and say, is the upside potential worth more than the downside risk? Typically it is. And if not, I
2: don't do it. So let's talk about this one then. Why, when you found out that you had to jump through all these hoops or it was Mm going to be, you know. They didn't even, they probably didn't even know how long it was going to be before they had everything figured out. So it's sort of indefinitely up in the air. So, what made you decide, okay, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to weather the storm, I'm going to hang on to it, I'm going to wait until I get the answers, as opposed to just saying, okay, this one's not going to work. It's taking up too much of my time. Let's move on. Like, there must have been a huge upside that you were looking forward to in order to hang on like that.
4: Yeah. There was. There was. so I mean, I could I could do the math, I could see the numbers. Obviously, the appreciation is sort of speculative. It's been really strong in the GTA for the last number of years, which is great. But um, I knew that I wanted to do this as an early uh, new construction project in my new construction career. And I said, the, the land is good. If I can at least be buoyant with the property, um, I'll take a risk and I'll take a gamble. and I was right, you know it worked out. Now I got a nice piece of land that I can build on in the side yard. And uh, a beautiful home that's now fully constructed and, and fully tenanted. And by the way, we're getting the best rents that I've ever heard of, at least in the Bowmanville market, um, at 2055 per month for a two bed, two bath per unit. So just over 4100 bucks at the duplex. That's pretty good.
2: Mm-hmm. So did you end up tearing that that original building down then? Is that what you did?
4: Yeah, we did. So it was an original farmhouse. Um, it was funny when I was looking at the survey from like, I don't know, late 1800s or something, it was a stone foundation. I was looking at the survey and the lot was actually measured, measured in chains, Mm.
2: right?
4: And a chain is actually 66 feet. So this lot was like 1.5 chains long. Whereas now we use meters or feet. That's how they used to do land planning back in the day was they, they would just like go out and get a big chain and they'd put a stick in the ground and they'd swing the chain from lot to lot. And that was your piece of land. And uh, this, this is how this was measured. So the the farmhouse was like really, really old. It was, it was done. It was finished. um, And it was time to go. So the best use in that case was just to take it down and split the land and start again.
2: Okay. I mean, there is all kinds of stuff that we can get into on this. Um, You mentioned that you put tenants in there Hmm. until you were, you know, had your answers and knew what you were going to be able to do with it. Now, is there like you're going to demolish the house, but now tenants have more like, even when it comes to um, how do you get them out? <laughs> I guess.
4: Yeah. Yeah. Cool. That, I th- you have to set expectations on the way in. So in that case, um, I think I went through two sets of tenants in those two years, either through no pays or damage, or they just left like the guy that ripped the cabinets off the wall, just left. So that was great. And I just left it vacant after that. I said, okay, I'm, ch- I'm checking out, like I'm done. You know, I'll just, I'll just eat the whatever the carrying cost was a couple thousand bucks a month or something. And, uh, and build this new place when I'm ready. But I mean, it's tough. You got to set expectations on the way in. I'm going into another deal right now in Durham where it's a very similar situation. Houses there taking the house down, building a couple low rise apartment buildings. Um, I'm building five or six next year low-rise apartments and in this case this is two and uh yeah you gotta you gotta make sure if you're gonna put tenants in there is that you know six months worth of carrying cost worth the risk of jeopardizing your development and in the case of some of the bigger builders the mintos and the tributes and the you know all these guys it's not right because they'll buy a farm and like for the couple thousand bucks a month that that tenant may pay to live in that farmhouse, that could potentially hold up, you know, a multi-million dollar development. So you really got to weigh the pros and cons. Like, is that ten thousand bucks worth it, or or is it not? And in some cases, it's not. You just factor it in, and maybe you make a little less on the way out, but you know, at least you know your timelines are still in perspective.
2: Okay. Yeah. I mean, it does sound like you got lucky there on that one to sort of just say, okay, well, I think we've done what we need to do with the tenants. Uh, you know, they've carried it for a while. Now we got a couple months. Let's call it here and. Uh, Yeah, sure that we can move on when we need to.
4: Yeah. Look, N11s are good, uh, but they're only as good as the paper they're written on. I think the relationship is more important. So, I mean, when you put somebody in there, if you have this gut feeling that they're probably not going to go, well, maybe it's not worth it for you.
2: Yeah. I mean, I've used N11s before with the expectation, like they've signed an N11 at the same time as the, so sorry, everybody, N11 is just a mutual agreement to end a tenancy at a certain date. Okay, so that's what the form is in, in Ontario. Ontario. Yeah, yeah, in Ontario. Yeah. Um, so so I've had I've signed N11s with my lease agreements, in order for them to move out. But you know what? What people have to understand is that those N11s signed with a lease, technically, the, the tenants don't necessarily know this. Most time, they don't know this, but they're not enforceable at the landlord tenant board. If that tenant decides to stay there. You know, if they're going to give you a hard time and say, you know what, I've got nowhere to go. I'm not leaving. I've decided I love it here and I'm staying forever. Then you've got another problem on your hands.
4: Mm-hmm. So yeah,
2: it is just about sort of weighing out the pros and cons and making sure that you've taken everything into consideration of what things might hold you up. And, and, um, and, and, you know what, like, I've been in the same situation and those people moved out because they don't know they they've agreed to move in under that circum under that, you know, under that agreement. So most time people are reasonable and they'll leave because they've already made arrangements to go at that certain time. But you just have to, I guess, make sure that you understand what's what when it comes to landlord tenant board, that can be tricky.
3: Ryan, you've done a lot of different types of deals uh, over the years. Have you ever lost money on, on a deal?
2: Hmm. Uh,
4: the truthful answer is no. Or has there been it's, some really close calls, I guess? There's been one or two close calls. Yeah. Uh, one or two close calls. The two that come to mind, um, one would be a, a bungalow that I bought. I overpaid on the way in. After I bought it, I knew I overpaid. And um, it was fine. I was going to flip it. And we were just going to like make a few bucks to break even, whatever. And, uh, we got close to, um, we got close close to liquidating the flip and we got all the renovations done. And like two weeks before we went to list the guy next door started, like it was a, it was a greenfield from an old factory. And, uh, they started ripping up like foundations and rebar and all kinds of stuff from this factory. I'm like, Oh my God, we had piles of dirt and dust and it was a mess right out of the kitchen window. Like people would look at this great big, it looked like somebody had ripped down a prison Right. So any, any potential buyer was like, absolutely not. I'm not living next to this for five years. So that, that killed that. I turned that into a great deal uh, by building a coach house behind the property. Um, I did a couple seminars out of that. Uh, we got great rents out of it. It turned out to be a really nice two unit home. And uh, I still hold that property today. It cash flows really well. So that was kind of like a lemon to lemonade situation. And then uh, number two was just like bad timing in 2017. I bought a property, the numbers were right. Everything was good. Uh, 2017 hit the market fell a little bit, and I think I liquidated that property. I think I made like five thousand bucks. You know, so I, I I just got out alive on that. And of course, it took months and months to do the rentals and all that. But you know what? I didn't lose money. No complaints. Learned a ton. Kept the staff busy. Uh, you know, kept my kept my reputation going, which was really important to me. More important than money or any of that stuff. Um, you know, I still did what I said I was going to do. And uh, we still came out alright, so um, no complaints there.
3: What's the key? What's the key then to doing that and, and never really making sure you know you never never lose money or never have a really you know catastrophic uh, deal that that wipes you out?
4: Yeah, first thing is to know that it can happen really easily. It can happen just as quick as as anything else. I mean, you got to remember that. Um, f- fortunately, like I'm 33, um, I haven't fully seen the downside of a really bad economy in my in my like in my business career you know so like 2008 I was still in college um 2000 I would have been like in like grade eight or something I don't know I would have been young so like none of those things really I really understood so um for me I just always think back to okay if things go really really not good here really bad what is the downside risk you know and just just know that Bad things can't happen. Uh, the second way that I hedge is buying equity. So on the way into a deal, if you can buy a house for, you know, for 500 and it's worth 600, well, you got a hundred thousand bucks worth of wiggle room there and the market can soften quite a bit before you're negative. So those are two ways that I really consider all my deals.
2: So um, what about multiple exit strategies? Is that something mm-hmm. like, are you, are you prepared? Cause you're doing a lot of stuff. You're doing a lot of flips. Um, is there, is there you know, the opportunity to hang on to these places if the market does turn?
4: Yeah, yeah. yes, I'm keeping more than I'm flipping, truthfully. Um, I I flip the odd one here or there, but I mean, I try to keep whatever I do. And um, in in doing that, you do reap the benefits of long-term appreciation and cash flow and so on. But you do, you know, negate a little bit of the downside risk as well. Because if the market fell down next week, and you were keeping that thing for 10 years anyways, maybe it won't affect you quite as much. So multiple exits are definitely important
2: um now again we glaze over the ryan you're glazing over all kinds of stuff here (laughs) you you mentioned a coach house yes let's let's talk like so and that's another thing that from my understanding that house you weren't planning on putting a coach house there Mm -hmm. you were planning on flipping that property correct so so tell us a bit about like just how you came up with the idea and what kind of hoops you had to jump through in order to make that work and make it turn it, turn, um, you know, your lemons into lemonade. Yeah,
4: sure, sure, sure. So uh, again, this was the highest and best use situation. I looked at the zoning. I think this one was about two or three years ago. Now I looked at the zoning and I looked at the land and I looked at the actual house itself and I said, okay, what can I, what can I do with this thing? If I sell it, I was going to take a $90,000 loss. Is what was going to happen so it's, that's real math that's real money um and i didn't want to do that so i you know i sat on it for a couple days i'm like okay what am i going to do here the basement was low you know so I, I would typically put a basement apartment in or something and just carry it but the basement had a low ceiling height so i said okay with the low ceiling height what can i do with this i can underpin number one what does that cost i could jack the house up number two put a basement apartment in what does that cost right then i have to renovate so what does that cost and then finally when i'm looking at the property after it's all done what's the house worth you know so that was that was option number 1 option 2 was obviously the loss option 3 was um, i noticed that i had a certain amount of frontage but i had quite a bit more depth more so than normal so i said well what if i do something out the back because i've got excess land over there you know what if i do something at the back and maybe i can make up my income and make up the loan to value on the property and make the actual resale value when i do sell it even better and that's exactly what i did so um, out the back and uh for the sake of simplicity we can just call it an addition right but i i went to the city and i said i'm looking to put a coach house in behind this place just like the detached garage that was previously there that's what i'm looking to do and i want to make it living quarters and they said nope you can't and i said why not and they said well that's not in our bylaws so well let's get a variance and they said no it can't do that either and i said why not and they said well we don't we don't want that in our city um you know it's just not part of what we're after for intensification okay so then i said well what if i build a house behind a house and connect it with a three-foot hallway and i said oh yeah, yeah that's fine <laughs> so so that's what i did i built a house behind a house right it was all off of common services so you know, one water, one sewer connection that was split off inside the main dwelling. And then I did all the other traditional duplex stuff that people typically do. So two furnaces, two water meters, two hydrometers, two gas meters, like all that. And after I did that, you know, I was I was getting great rents. I mean, I think at that time I was getting over three thousand bucks a month or thirty two hundred bucks a month for a duplex in in the city. And I mean, that at the time was probably 10% higher than most people were getting. Truthfully, ten to fifteen percent, and the tenants that were there realized that what I had built was special because there was no sound transfer, no smell transfer. Um, the use of the land was excellent, and the tenants were real happy, giving their own living quarters and not having to live beneath any other family. So that's how I took that deal and said, "Okay, what can I, you know, what can I, what can I do with this?" And I got an appraisal recently; it was fantastic. So uh, that's how I spun it around, and fortunately, I didn't take the ninety k loss, but that could have very easily happened.
3: No, I was in. Uh, where was that? That's Osh- Oshawa. You're talking about.
4: That was Oshawa. Have,
3: so, you, looked, um, have you looked? Have you looked? You've been mainly in the same city or same location the whole time, or have you spread out a little bit over over you know the last six seven years you've been doing this?
4: Yeah, I have spread out a bit. So I started in Oshawa. I moved up the 401 a little bit to Bowmanville, uh, Clarington. So kind of that 401 corridor, and then I expanded out to the Quinty West Belleville market um, recently mm-hmm. of the last couple of years, just because. The yield, depending on what you're buying, you've got to be very selective, right? And the yield is very good when you go into what people would consider like B or C class markets that are more economical to purchase, um, but the rental yield is still the same. So, uh, the 401 corridor from Durham and East is typically where I focus.
2: Well, I mean, I guess this is the kind of stuff that people are going to learn with your book, right? Like, do you, yeah. do you cover all? You cover all this stuff of, you know is there like a list in there where they can kind of go, okay, what's the the best use? Let's maybe it's this, maybe it's this, maybe it's this, like all that stuff's in there and they sort of, and then of course, they can get creative. I would imagine on top of that.
4: The whole thing is about creativity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The whole, like the whole thing is about creativity. So um, there, there is a a list in, in the traditional sense inside the book where I take a couple different deals and I evaluate them and I say, okay, if this is our zoning, if this is our financing, if this is our family situation, if this is our knowledge base, what would you do with this property? And I'm I'm, I'm really big, at like when I go out and speak and stuff like that, I hate giving an it depends answer because too many people do that and it doesn't help anybody. You know, if you say it depends, well, they're like, okay, it depends on what? So I always quantify that with, you know, why does it depend and what does it depend on and how can you make your decisions based on the situation that you're in? No, so yeah, I I definitely break that down in the book.
3: Uh, What type of, I'm imagining you have some pretty decent systems and stuff to, you know, you said you do eight to 15 projects at any given time um, in that range. So how do you kind of structure all that? How, How does that work? How do you keep tabs on all that stuff? And what kind of systems have you created over the years?
4: Yeah, a lot of it stems down to delegation to the proper people. So we just had a team meeting last week with my staff. I run a really lean staff. So in terms of overhead, I'm a big believer in uh, lean and efficiency rather than bloated and fat. Um, For me, like I run with a typical staff of four to six, T4 payroll, and then we've got a lot of uh, outside periphery. So like subcontractors, roofers, plumbers, electricians, uh, land planners, things like this that help me as we navigate some of these challenges. So delegating off by way of CRM, by way of email, um, by way of my operations manager, her name's Lev you know, she's been really good at being traffic control for me because I'm looking for return on time. Like ROI is great, but I mean, if you have no time, what good is that? So uh, for 2021, that's going to be my big ticket is what's my return on time on this project and does it make money and does it feed the family and stuff like that? So uh, CRM's email, all that stuff is good.
2: Ryan, I want to go back to the challenges for a minute because we've been talking a lot about highest and best use and. there has, has there been a time where like, for example, the one that you said, I want to build a coach house and they said, no, um, (laughs) have there been other times where zoning has gotten in the way of your idea of what you wanted to do and, and you've been able to use creativity to overcome like you did in that circumstance there. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean,
4: I, if you're going to build something, you might as well build something bigger than a single family home. Um, infill development's really good, but I mean, zoning is always a challenge. Like right now, this, this duplex that I just built, it was an R1 zone. They made me rezone it to an R2, which is still residential, which is ridiculous, but that's what they made me do. It took a year and thousands of dollars, but my highest and best use in the residential zone, because I couldn't go with an apartment building was the vertical split. So I said, okay, I got a vertical split here. Um, what are the rents going to be, you know, in the two unit space? The rents were phenomenal. There was a detached garage there as well, so I I did a little bit of refacing and finishing on the garage. So in the residential space, you got to look at okay, what what's the coolest two-unit property that I can build to comply with what I have to work with, right? And then when you get into the apartment building space, things like common laneways, uh, rezoning, going vertical, uh, more density, you know, varying the varying the density that the city is allowing you to build with. So uh, in a lot of cases in Oshawa, they're saying 85 units per hectare. Well, what if you can push that 10% to 95 units per hectare? That's an extra unit. And within that extra unit, what does that do to the value of the land on a per unit cost? Right. So those are all, those are all different levers and different dials that you can tweak in order to make that best use of land happen.
2: Has there ever been another time where you went in with an idea and they've said, no, you can't do what you want to do?
4: Specifically, I don't think so. I, I,
2: And I'm sure it's going to happen. I don't want to speak that into
4: my life, but I mean, with development, historically it's, it's a bit of a gamble, you know, um, when you go in saying, okay, I want this many units. And they say, well, we'll give you half. Uh, that's a problem. I try to do as much research on the way in, like I will over ask questions to municipal planners and to financing and to my staff. And like every, everybody involved with the project, I will over ask before I pull the trigger. And I think um, in some capacities, that's probably held me back a little bit from the growth of the business because I'm a little bit more conservative. A lot of people think I'm aggressive, but I'm I'm very conservative. Um, it's probably held me back a little bit because I only want to do profitable deals. Like I, I don't want to gunsling and go do 30 deals and half of them turn out to be crappy. I'd rather do 15 and just say, okay, we're lean, we're efficient, we're safe, we're comfortable, and we're moving ahead. Um, <laughs> and one way, I was golfing the other day. And I realized while I was golfing that I hate to hit the ball past the pin and work my way back to the cup. I'd rather hit my ball short and work my way to the pin because I find that more motivating. And I, I think that same thing takes place in business. Um, For me, I like to work my way to the goal rather than trying to backpedal. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, I guess that says a lot, right? Like You don't want to go and buy something... Um without doing the due diligence to know that you can do what you want to do with it. Mm-hmm. Has there ever been a time where you were pleasantly surprised that you could do more than what you thought you could do?
4: Yeah. I'm working on a few deals right now that may pan out that way. Truthfully. Um, when I bought it, I thought, okay, you know, I can, I can do X. And now that we're going through the process, there's different things, proximity to a downtown core, for example, that I didn't really know exist. I knew, but I didn't know. Um, and they say, because you're close to the downtown core in a fringe zone, Maybe we'll give you a little bit more density, which means a couple extra units. And, you know, what does that do to your pro forma, right? So, yeah, some things take place like that where they're in your favor.
2: That's good. And I think that digging for it is the only way that you're going to come up with it. Like, they're not going to seek you out and go, hey, Ryan, I I noticed that you bought a property the other day. And I just, I I was thinking about it, you know, while I was laying in bed last night. And I wanted to let you know that you could probably do more units if you pushed for that.
4: Yeah. Nobody does that. (laughs) Nobody does that. Like, I just went through a deal, actually. I wanted to propose um, a larger larger building, 30 units or so. And the initial pre-consultation with the town was very favorable. So I was going to build a 30-unit building and maybe do rental, maybe do condo. I wasn't sure. But I own the property and I bought it, closed on it firm. I had a couple exit strategies, which were not development. But I mean, yeah, our initial phone call with the town, our initial meetings were great. And then our subsequent meetings were like oh no you can't do that i'm like what do you mean i can't do that you guys just told me i could do that and they're like yeah we were wrong i'm like okay, okay. like this is a, a 30 unit building is like a mega million dollar project like what do you mean you're wrong so stuff happens yeah
3: that stuff's always <laughs> tough yeah, that stuff's always tough um yeah. hearing you get different inspectors in like a that's a common one always right? to get different specters saying different things or wanting different things. And you're like, what? Yeah. (laughs) How do you work through that? That's tough.
4: It is tough. So I'll, I'll, I'm going to keep the property. Um, Like I say, a couple extra strategies, but to bank that land on a major arterial road is, is huge. So I'm going to bank the land. And when the zoning becomes favorable, we'll go in
2: again. Do you find like, so when you say when the zoning becomes favorable, is it something that you sort of, you know, become a squeaky wheel on and just keep, you know, keep, sort of pushing your idea on them until finally they, or until, you know, somebody on your team maybe goes, Hey, what if we look at it this way? You know, is that, yeah. is that an idea?
4: Yes, absolutely. I mean, intensification initiatives throughout the golden horseshoe, uh, I think it's called the greater golden horseshoe growth plan or something. Um, it's basically a provincial mandate to say, okay, uh, we need more people in our urban areas. So we reduce urban sprawl. We build vertical instead of horizontal. Um, you know, we don't want to go into the green belt. We want to keep everybody in cities, which means people support the restaurants. And, you know, it's it's just a better way to keep traffic to a minimum as well. So when we see a lot of these things taking place, typical government policy, that trickles down, and that ends up affecting land use. And truthfully, that's why basement apartments came to be, you know, whatever it was five, 10 years ago, um, how they became mandate legal, you know, in most municipalities was because the government said, hey, we need people living in these places and we don't want them traveling way out into the country because we can't service those lands. So let's keep them let's keep them in town. Right? Let's do some basement apartments and let's let's intensify what we already have working for us. And I mean, I think the same thing is going to come through with triplexing. You're already seeing it uh we'll say like west of Toronto. Um, not so much out east yet, but you know, it's it's coming. Coach houses are coming, laneway houses are coming, triplexing is coming. It's the next step.
3: Uh, let's dig into a few. Do you have something else there, Rob?
2: No, I mean my stuff. Just my, I just keep going down rabbit holes. But Ryan will never get out of here. So, we'll talk about oh. co houses next time, maybe.
3: Yeah, we up. maybe yep. should do another. Maybe we should do another uh, follow-up episode on that. Yeah, you're right. What about tips and, and uh, advice you can give to some people starting out? Um, maybe they're just starting out in, in real estate investing in general, or maybe starting out uh, trying to do some. More creative stuff. What's some advice you give these people?
4: Yeah, Uh, when I first got started, I was listening to this guy called Eric Thomas, a hip hop preacher, and uh, he was on YouTube. Have you guys heard of him?
3: I know him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God, the guy's Uh, good. Thank God it's Monday.
4: Thank God it's Monday. Yeah, he's got his own (laughs) podcast and the show. You guys can or the listeners can check him out on YouTube. And he had this quote, uh, very very powerful. If you can find the clip on YouTube, and it went something to the effect of, "If you want to succeed as bad as you want to breathe, then you'll be successful." Hmm. And I thought, oh my God. That's pretty powerful, you know. And that I I I think about that a lot, a lot. Um, I also had a sticky note on my dashboard that says, "How bad do you want it?" And every day I would get in my truck, I would ask myself that: How bad do you want to spend time with your family? How bad do you want that next deal? How bad do you want to deal with that tenant? Or how bad do you want whatever it is that you want? Right. And I think the motivation and the mindset behind whatever it is you want to do is equally as important as the mechanics. That it takes to actually get that thing done. So for me, you know, I was always a big believer in just become a sponge. Ask everybody for as much information as you can, and if they're willing to give it, make sure you accept it. You know, be be willing to be wrong. Um, I love being wrong. You know, I'm usually on the giving end of a lot of these questions. You know, doing podcasts and things like this, and I I enjoy that. But I love to be wrong because that's how I grow. You know, and and you guys doing what you do with the podcast look at all the information that you give out that people are graciously willing to accept. So um, for me, my biggest tip would be, be a sponge. That's your takeaway and find a couple of quotes that motivate you.
2: That's really, really good. Yeah. You know what? Like, I mean, we've said this time and time again, and I think that it's actually gotten through to a lot of people listening now is that mindset plays a big role in your ability to be able to um, succeed in, in, in real estate. Right. So where there's, will there really is a way when it comes to this kind of stuff especially starting out i mean you've got to be creative right from the start when you want to get into something like this at least most of us do i mean um i would say the majority if not all of the guests that we've ever had on here in the 131 episodes that we've done now is um is that they started from uh, uh, just like a regular place they're regular people they weren't born with silver spoons. They didn't have trust funds. They're not just going, well, how did you, how did you succeed in real estate? Well, dad gave me money and I bought some houses. It's mm-hmm. not all that, right. all these people have had to work. They've had to, you know, carve their own path, but they've also leveraged the knowledge that all of these other people that they're around have, have given them and have been able to <clears throat> allow them to make less mistakes than they normally would. So, that was my long-winded way of saying thank you, Ryan, for sharing all of this. I think there's a ton of advice that people can get out of it. Um, how can people get in touch with you?
4: Uh, yes. best way to get in touch with me would be sign up for the book at the thehighestinvestuse.com. We'll put you on the mailing list. And when that comes out uh, early spring, we'll give you a shout. And if you need me, info at rwcarinvestment.com.
2: Very, very good. Thanks, Ryan, man. We really appreciate this. And it's good to hear, good to have you back. We waited too long, definitely. Thanks. Thanks five thanks years is
3: long. Maybe we'll, maybe we'll keep that a little tighter this time.
2: Cut it. You got half. it. <laughs> thanks, it. Guys, half, I appreciate two and
3: a half years. Okay, we'll see you in two and a half years. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do the coach house episode. Let's get that in, in, uh, in the next year at least. Yeah,
4: <laughs> Sounds good. good. Let's we'll do it.
3: Let's do it. Let's do it upon the book launch. Maybe whenever that's, uh, when did you say yeah. early spring, spring 2021, yeah.
4: spring 2021 spring market.
3: Let's, let's keep that in mind. Let's, let's do something around that. That'll be fine. All right, buddy. Thanks
2: guys. Uh, Sandy, how can people get in touch with you?
3: Uh, Sandy at McKay uh, would be easiest or, uh, two eight, nine, three, nine, six, eight, four, six.
2: And people can reach me at Rob at Mr. Okay. Well, thanks everybody. This has been a great episode and hopefully you will tune in again next time. Have a great day